And welcome to the Leadership Exchange podcast with me, your host, Christopher Pietroni. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Birmingham, where I'm Professor of Leadership Practice and Director of the Birmingham Leadership Institute. In this podcast, we ask whether we have the right kind of leadership for the challenges that we face, or whether perhaps we need to exchange the approaches to leadership that we have around us for something new. Uh, in today's episode, I'm joined by my colleague, Professor Carolyn Wilkins, OBE, who has had a fascinating combination of roles across the public sector, as we'll see, and who most recently, before joining the Birmingham Leadership Institute, was a uh, specialist advisor to Number 10 Downing Street on health and care integration. Carolyn, welcome. Hi, Christopher. Now, Carolyn, one of the things, as I was saying, that I think is really distinctive about your leadership experience is that you have often held roles where you have had to cross boundaries of various kinds. So at one point, uh, you were chief executive of Oldham Council and at the same time had the equivalent role in the NHS commissioning group in Oldham. And I think most people would think that working across local government and the NHS would be hard enough. But at the same time, you had regional responsibilities across Greater Manchester as a whole for public health. And then during the pandemic, alongside all of that, you took on a national role as a director in Test and Trace. So I just wanted to start by asking you, I think the question that uh, anybody listening would want to ask, which was, you know, what on earth possessed you to take all of that on? So um, I suppose what possessed me throughout my career really is something needs doing. Uh, So that's stepping into the space. Um, So the opportunity to bring health and care together more closely was absolutely something I could see the the sense of uh, because you could see the consequences of it of it not happening, you know, for for personally, for family members, but also for community people and that frustration of thinking you'd got agreement uh, and then things unravelling outside the meeting. So a lot of time and effort being spent on things that uh, weren't translating into the impact that you were trying to work for. So when the opportunity came up to step into the joint role, so to be the chief executive authority, but also to be the accountable officer at the clinical commissioning group, um, I didn't do it lightly, but it seemed like a really good opportunity to to fundamentally change things and to you know to meet some of the ambition and then uh, obviously then Covid started happening occurring so um, a lot of the work then became about that so having had those relationships and having that integration already of the organisation just made so much possible actually in the response to Covid and then I got the call about um, the test and trace role and I said no (laughs) several times um, because there was a lot there was already a lot on and I had a role in Greater Manchester as the um, civil resilience lead so I was running both the population health kind of response across Greater Manchester connecting with the 10 directors of public health but also with the chief officers from the 10 local authorities uh, and was part of the strategic um, command group for Greater Manchester 
there are frustrations and anger really with what was happening nationally uh, you have a moment where you can just sit and just be angry and have a lot of opinions and a lot to step, say or you can take the opportunity offered and step into the space and try and do something about it I'm just really curious about about the motivation you know you said something it, it, it seems to be important to you that that if some if there's a problem that you see and you think you can do something about it that you should is that is that how you see mm, yeah I remember somebody said to me quite early in my career um, leadership is about you know if you see a fire you should run towards it and do something about it but they also had a very clear line but don't get burnt you know? mm. so um, and I think there is that about that leadership moment when you're sort of everybody's going somebody should do something about that somebody should and they should and then you realize that perhaps they is me maybe Mm. maybe I should so um or or take that opportunity so I think there is a there is a it is a courage thing as well because if you take a secondment opportunity then there are questions about the role that you were doing you know so what happens there so you've also got to have conversations with the people you work with because it changes the dynamic for them you know this is not a solo act any of this um leadership's collective isn't it how do you how how have you protected yourself from because you know there's a really there is a downside to that sort of courage right it comes at personal cost and and how how have you managed to sustain yourself through through that so I think I've always um had quite an alive sense of risk you know so what's the worst that could happen here personally and professionally about you know what, what could go wrong uh, because literally sometimes people could die you know um, or you're doing something where there isn't a, there isn't a great route there might be at least unfair but it's the least unfair it's not a good option so I think that ability to you, you can't see every risk coming can you you clearly that's what we've seen the last few years you can't see everything coming even when you think you've got a plan for it um, but going through that kind of process about well what's the worst that could happen and can I live with that you know so um but equally what's the I suppose what's the counterfactual you know if I don't do this if this doesn't happen then what's the consequences of that as well and for you know not that anybody would know that there was a consequence but what would I carry because I'd chosen not to speak up or step forward so um and I was really vocal you know about uh protective equipment clothing you know, there were times when we all felt like we were kind of drug runners. You'd get a call about a drop in a car park in a, a neighbouring borough at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. And could you get a van there to collect it so that you could get the the equipment to care homes so that they, you know, staff that were receiving patients with COVID from hospitals had some degree of protection. So, you know, a huge sense of personal responsibility for your own workforce and what you are asking people to do and deep frustration about being ignored you know Mm. do you remember all the food parcels the national distribution of just woefully inadequate um, food distribution uh, when we had local infrastructure not perfect needed developing but you know we knew our communities in a significantly deeper way than any national government could hope to and we were seen as a stakeholder to be managed rather than a valuable resource as part of the, the kind of response. So so I was really critical. So having been there, you think, well, are you just the, the noisy person in the room or actually mm. have you got something to contribute? It's, it's really interesting, Karen, because it strikes me, there you are, you go from being the boss, right? And you, you you've, by that stage in your career, you had been the boss of every organisation you'd been in for over a decade, for a long, actually probably even more, even more 15 years or something, right? 
And there you are, you find yourself in test and trace, and you're not actually the boss mm. anymore, right? You're, you're, you're a hierarchy, you're a director, but anyway, you're in this kind of new system. And it sounds from what you've just said that you're often giving quite unwelcome feedback, right? It, it's not going to work like that. Mm. It's not going to happen like that. So there you are, you, you don't, you're not the boss, you don't have the same status and authority that you previously had, and now here you are trying to get people who you need to, you know, effectively more hierarchically senior than you to change their minds and that must have been quite a shift for you and and how did you how did you handle that how did you navigate your way through yeah yeah so it it was very different very different in terms of suppose you didn't have the the levers that you could pull although let's not pretend just because you you know the most senior person in an organization everything happens just because you say so it's not quite like that um but recognizing that um you're only you're only part of the issue as well so you know even if it didn't work for certain communities that thing if well what if it works for most of the country so it might still be the policy well is there something then that could be developed for those that you know it doesn't work for um where's that kind of perspective so and trying to push for the well why are we doing this you know what's the rationale for this and sometimes the rationale is that's the political choice that's been made, you know, and it's not for you to be told, you know, we just need to make sure that this will happen. So you're trying to work through, and um, well, how does how does it have the best impact then? What can we do with this? So I think there, were, there are a few things for me. I suppose I wasn't I wasn't employed directly. I was on secondment, so that definitely gives you a degree of freedom, doesn't it? Because if you're unpopular well then you you go back to the job that you you know your, your substantive post so I suppose that takes a degree of risk out of it not it doesn't de-risk it completely um but it's important that you have enough credibility in that room to be heard that doesn't mean you always get your way and so I was really clear I think even with the sector that I would I couldn't promise to change everything all I could promise was to do my damnedest really on behalf of the sector and the communities that we represent and and I, I did, you know, I'm confident I did that and that we got some wins. We got, I think in the end, local government funding went up from about 400 million to 2.2 billion directly. Um, the container outbreak management funding, which we then kind of oversaw the allocation of, um, the self-isolation payments, you know, I'm not saying that was all down to me at all. It was, you know, definitely part of the team effort, but being in those conversations and trying to sort of say, but this is how it is on the ground and this is how things work in reality. and. You know this is what's possible and and there was a lot of you know can local government do this you know i believe local government pretty much do anything but why should we you know and how are we supported with resources and capacity to make it possible you know so some of those sort of challenges and feedback well, one of the things that must have been an experience that you've had repeatedly over the years and, and must have been in spades during covid is a sort of sense of uncertainty about what the right thing to do is or, or where the information you're being given kind of is ambiguous and, and it's not clear and how have you handled those moments when people are looking to you for for leadership and you're uncertain and it's uncertain how do you how do you navigate that so I mean, there's so many things, aren't there, that um, you just don't know the outcome. You you make a decision in the moment, um, and actually, if you're particularly if you're in an emergency planning scenario situation, and you're doing the decision log, uh, the the best practice is you also record why. You know, what did you know? 
on which to base the decision that you've taken because you forget, you know, because events move on and, you know, what you, the decision you made at one o'clock and then events by three o'clock are totally different. Would you have made the same decision then? But at one o'clock, this is what you knew. This was what's available to you. So there's some of that kind of discipline about um, that. There's also what do other people think? You know, what are other people's views? But that isn't abdicating the responsibility of them being the decision maker. So, you know, even take an example on COVID, you know, we we knew that lockdown was coming, all of us locally, and that we were going to send staff home. But we also knew that we'd got essential services that needed to carry on. We also knew that we had quite a significant number of staff that were going to be clinically extremely vulnerable, so we're going to have to shield. So it wasn't just that they were working at home and could be, or, you know, could be redeployed. There were some people in essential services who were going to be sent home. And so what does that mean for the particularly, you know, intimate personal care, social workers, uh, domiciliary care workers, refuse collection, you know, any number of kind of essential services. So we had to pause sending everybody home, even though everybody was desperately frightened. They were worried about their own families. They didn't want to be physically you know, in buildings. We had to hold the, the time to try and work out, you know, who, who was available to us, who could do different jobs. Um, you know, what were the employment implications of all of that and then and but make those kind of calls uh so huge pressure and i don't know whether it was the perfect decision but based on the information i had the timing that you know when and then trying to explain people to people why you made the decision made the decision you have some people still really unhappy angry frightened about it but you're trying to balance individuals and what's good for them and treating people with respect against what the organisation needs, but also what's the organisation responsible for in terms of those wider communities. So I think that's that's all you can do. I mean, your own values come into it as well about, you know, can I, can I live with that decision? And actually, if it's a decision I don't feel able to take, but it's needed, then I need not to be here and somebody else needs to come into this space and do it. So mm. you have to reflect on that, I think, at, at key times thinking oh, I really don't want to to do this um, but it needs doing can I find a way of doing it and if not then maybe I need to not be here and somebody else that need you know because it's the thing that needs to be done you know in the, in this podcast we're, we're really interested in in whether we have the kind of leadership that we need to meet the challenges that we face and I, I it just sounds from that description like you know, do we see is that the leadership that we see around us? Do you, do you think that that's that's the kind of leadership we need? And if so, have we have we got it? So I see a lot of that leadership, but I don't necessarily see a lot of leaders of organisations behaving in that way. So, um, well, or, or the narrative, or the story, or the presentation, because it's hard, isn't it, to divorce? You know, to know what's really going on behind the scenes. So, I think you know, I've been I've worked with honestly some amazing people but they have no profile or, you know, um, they're, not, they're not doing it for that reason. They're just doing it. They're just, you know, tackling really, really difficult issues or even actually just, you know, do, having fun and doing really interesting things um, in a kind of collective way, stepping into spaces and making things happen. I think our narrative of leadership, when I, when I got the, I think it was when I, I don't know, was it Chief Exec at Rossendale? The headline in the local paper was Mum of Two, you know, because that was my main qualification for getting the job. So there's definitely still a lot of that kind of narrative about 
what and I remember somebody saying to me you know you can't be a chief exec with long hair and you mustn't wear cardigans and it's like what how does any of that any of that impact on my ability to do the job um but that idea of you know don't be emotional or, or even things like you know you're good at the soft stuff because you're softly spoken and you're you know you're not very tall or whatever um so those people's ideas of leadership that they're quite keen to sort of put on you unfortunately I see a, I see a lot of that I don't think necessarily people are like that but I think their presentation of leadership comes across in that kind of way so you've led in um a series of crises you know local regional national um including the pandemic but you've talked about other emergencies in in greater manchester and so on if we just think about leading in crisis what what's your learning having been there about what makes effective leadership in a in a crisis so clarity i think is um yeah clarity is crucial making sure that you've got the the right team around you you know you've got the right resources uh you've got the kind of right focus absolutely you know if somebody's asked looking for an answer and you haven't got it there's there is no space here for you know winging it at all you know this isn't it you know if you don't know then you need to find out or find somebody that does know uh i think being very aware of yourself so uh somebody worked that worked in the RF said to me once stress is like alcohol the more you've had the less able you are to judge how much you've had so you know you're you're in a crisis you think you're okay but it's day four and um, you know in local government we don't have the blue light rotor in quite the same way so we don't do the sort of the sort of shifts so making sure that uh, you are still uh, functioning as you need to be able to function um, you know because you, you don't just go home and switch off from these these things so you know making sure that you've got that kind of uh that focus but you're also thinking about what's going to follow so the decisions for the now but what are the consequences of decisions in the to be as well so that you're not just in the immediate that you are taking time to do the reflection as we would say christopher to get up on you know on the balcony but absolutely so important to not just be in the heat of it all in the moment and it can be very seductive to be there because there's so much going on um but that if you don't if you're not thinking you know about what's coming next so uh when i was in rossendale there was a major gas explosion underneath an electricity pylon at the end of the m66 so we had i can't remember now how many thousand well there's basically electricity out across a lot of the borough but gas as well and it was december so we lost the, the council lost all its electricity uh so we couldn't no lights no heating no it no phones nothing um couldn't get the barrier up to get the bin wagons out you know so you had to dismantle that and then but that went on for days because if you're putting the gas back on you have to the gas um have to go in and flush out every property two weeks before christmas we came to you know so this was a longer time not just the day of the of the explosion and the I think we got the electricity back on within sort of 24 hours. So it was making sure that you were planning for some of that uh, and that you could hand over. It's quite hard to do. I find it quite hard to do to hand over because you feel like you should be there. It should be you, uh, but it can't, it can't be. So there has to be the team and the sort of the handover. Mm. And, and what about um, younger people who might not think of themselves as, as leaders? Um, you know, what, 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 would you say to 
you know, somebody who's at the early part of their career in, in public sector or in other sectors about how to go about exercising and developing their own leadership. So a couple of things really. Uh, one, I'm not surprised they don't because we we frame the narrative very much as leaders of the future, which I hear as you're not a leader now. <laughs> Get back in the box. So even framing it as that, you know, future leader, just because you're young doesn't mean you're not a leader now. So there is something I think for us actually at institutional level or course level about how we frame that kind of, um, so, you know, you don't have to be older or more progressed in your career to be a leader. I mean, some people never exercise leadership and yet they may work in an organisation for, you know, it's not saying they don't do valuable work, but they don't, they're not necessarily practising leadership. So I think the really important thing about recognising that leadership happens in the small things as well as the really big things. And, you know, connecting to your own values and your own passions and about the things that you just can't walk past that. You know, I'm not prepared to walk past that or ignore that. I'm going to do something about that. That's leadership. You know, so helping people, I think, recognise those leadership moments and the practice of leadership and, and helping build in their confidence that that can then apply to really big. And that thing about, you know, if not you, who, you know, don't just assume there's somebody else that's going to come along and and do that because they very well might not be. Mm-hmm. So one one last question, Cameron. Whose leadership inspires you? So you know, I was really thinking about this and thinking, it's not that I don't think there's some amazing people, but it's really hard to know what what's genuine, isn't there? So I would, you know, if you were saying name somebody, I'd think, oh well, Obama looked like he wore it lightly, like he did things because they really mattered and they were born to him, that he wasn't doing it just to be the president, you know, not just I'm going to do the leadership stuff because I want to be in a position. Um, And so I was reflecting about more about the kind of people that I've learned from, because you sit in rooms, don't you think, I would never want to lead like that. (laughs) I do not want to be that kind of leader. But you also see people who think, wow, you know, the way you dealt with that, the way you were in that space, the way you held that, the way you made that happen or you made that possible. Um, I think that's where I've been kind of deeply in, impressed. I think the first leader of a local authority that I worked with in a senior position was at Berry Council actually, and uh, he's no, no longer with us um, sadly, but he had deep, deep values. And he was very gentle actually in the space, but people paid attention to him and they wanted to do that, they wanted to work with him. You know, he was just really effective at kind of creating this sense of shared purpose and that and that everybody's contribution was valuable. And I just thought that was so kind of, well, so different from what I'd seen, I think, to that, uh, to that point, but so kind of impressive. So, so, you know, and the other thing is, you know, you might see somebody think that's really bad leadership, but you don't know, you don't know what's gone on to get them to that point and you don't know you don't know how bad it might have been. You know, this might be very much the least bad option. So I, I try not to be too sort of judgmental because you think, well, if I was walking in their shoes, you know, where would I, where would I get that? But, but I think that that yeah, deep consideration for others is an important part of it. I suppose I value leadership that chimes with the values that I hold as well. I suppose, and if somebody's working on things that feel important to me, that feels like good leadership. But um, effective leadership can also be in working on things that I don't agree with, can't it? So it's an interesting one, I think. Carolyn, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, hear your stories and your experiences of, of leadership. And, you know, to have leadership explored 
both in the sort of nuts and bolts and nitty gritty of how do we make stuff happen on on the ground from you know waste disposal to care to you know bins and all the rest of it right into you know the heart of some of the most important issues that we're facing as a country whether that's the pandemic or whether that's community cohesion or prosperity or you know it's been absolutely thrilling and you know to have leadership explored as curiosity as as compassion as uh, humility as kindness and then above all i think that that question that you've kept coming back to you know that which i think is a central leadership question which is if not me who so thank you very much and to those uh, listening and watching thank you for joining us uh, if you've enjoyed the leadership exchange podcast do please leave us a review and share with others and if you'd like to hear about future episodes don't forget to subscribe Thank you.